Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Okay. Hello, hello. Hello, girlies. Izzy's sitting here in a very chic little number. A cute top. A maybe. cute top with a backstory. Maybe I'll put it on the close friends so the girlies can see. I've actually felt insane wearing it to your house, but I was like, where else am I going to wear it? Because I don't do anything. I know. It's, it's too like, freezing. I wish it was just locked out. They should do lockdown every winter. Don't say a that. first one. It's nice because then you don't feel any pressure to go outside. Okay, well, I was kind of saying the opposite thing, where I was saying, I've got this nice top, but I have nowhere to wear it because I have nothing to do. So mm-hmm. I want to go outside. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm wearing it to your house because basically I don't want to make any plans because it's freezing and it's winter. So I understand what you're saying. But yeah, it's just so like, unpleasant to be outside that it's like, why don't we all just sit inside, save a bit of money, do a bit of cooking, mm, bit of reading. Could do that without the hibernate. enforced lockdowns. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It should be like a optional yes <laughs> but no yeah so on the weekend charlotte knowles who is this british designer that both of us really like but i'm like stupidly obsessed with was having a sample sale and i was like don't be a naughty girl and go it'll still be too expensive her stuff's really expensive and then one of my friends kind of twisted my arm by just saying do you want to go <laughs> Yes. Have you seen that? And then it was the most freezing day ever. And I arrived and there was a huge fucking line. I arrived like 20 minutes early and the line was like, not super huge, but like 40 gaggling girls. Which in a sample sale is like game over. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's fucking things in there. And (laughs) And the women behave like beasts when they go in. Absolute animals. Yeah. And it's like that scene in girls where they're all screaming and sprinting around the animals. That's how it was once I got in. And then I was like 40 people back and I was like, it'll be okay. Still thinking I'd be out within an hour. 
And then my friend arrived and she goes, dude, my friends are at the front of the line. And I was like, we can't. I feel friends so in high places. guilty. And then we just slaunted into the front of the line and like everyone behind us was like, mumbling under their breath like they were going to punch us in the face and I was like I fully understand and I would feel the exact same way but I'm just going to pretend I can't hear you there is like a shamelessness to people where if you just don't apologize and don't engage you'll just get away with it like I kind of understand why certain people behave the way they do yeah because yeah exactly no I was like afterwards I was like we walked out I got the time I'm wearing now there was one in the entire sale of Mm -hmm. this and I've wanted it for ages it's this pink long sleeve thing and it's not even my size, but I'm just, I got it anyway. I was like, fuck it. And then we came out and still probably the people, 30 people in front of me weren't in. So we would have been waiting in the freezing cold for hours. I was like, you just have to sometimes be naughty. Be naughty. Be a bit naughty. I know someone was like a beast in my inbox this week about getting paid for an invoice like two days after something had happened. Sending, like, five emails in two days. That's bad behavior, though. Terrible behavior. But then we just paid the invoice because we just wanted them gone. And I was like, this is the thing that annoying people do. It's like, they're so annoying. But if they don't care, they'll just get the shit. We'll be sitting here waiting six months. Yeah. Because we're polite. And sometimes you just, it's not worth it. Yeah, my friend was so shameless. She just walked up to her friends and just pushed in and didn't even look behind her at the other girls and i kept sending them i'm sorry looks it probably made it worse yeah it's worse you gotta just stick to the character yeah but anyway walked out very happy and smug yeah it's such a good feeling i remember one of the first sample sales i went to in australia was the ellery one and it was like the media preview i think it was before you'd moved that's that's exactly it so it's like by the time we were allowed in on Sunday, yeah. media and VIPs have already gone through and ransacked the place. Yeah. So I was like, if I had 40 girls in front of me, I'm not getting God knows. Yeah, you would have got like a little yeah. size five shoe or something. Yeah. I remember at the Ellery one, I've never seen – this is like 2014 or something. I've never seen such hysteria. And there was a, uh, <laughs> someone on the phone behind me begging their bank to increase their credit card limit in the line. Oh, my God. So if you put anything down for one minute, it was just like – yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it was mayhem. And you were only allowed to buy – you were only allowed to buy five things. And the girl who was friends with my friend literally had, like, 40 things in her hand. I was like, bitch, put some down. Put some, yeah, I know. People – yeah, people are shameless, yeah, they, they? They, yeah, people were animals. It was quite hilarious. And my heart was, like, racing. It's so <laughs> exciting. Like, it is exciting. It's stressful as there fuck. There should be some sort of reality show about that. Well, that I like, would watch that, like, editors edit, – like – people navigate the different sample sales yeah because it is so fucking stressful even when you win if you get the best thing it's like when an ebay auction is counting down oh my god i've done all sorts of fucking hysterical nonsense during an ebay countdown yeah yeah there's actually a very cute tiktok account we're five minutes in and i'm already mentioning tiktok that's cool you would like it it's kind of similar to parisians in paris Mm. but it's called new york city Mm, trends maybe or outfits and this person walks around and just films cute people's outfits. But then the other day they did one on – they did What Did You Thrift Today? And they stood mm-hmm. outside this cute thrift shop, which I've now starred in my maps for New York. How um, nice. And all these people just pulled out everything they'd bought from the vintage shop. And I, I was like, that's so – Yeah. I was like, that's so cute. I'm like the elderly TikToker because I watch that kind of thing on 
YouTube. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there's a lot of that about now. Like on you on the YouTube homepage, there's always people doing like city tours of Paris and New York and London where they just interview people on the streets about their outfits, just cool people. Yeah. And they're so fun to watch because it's like everyone on Instagram dresses so fucking boring and sponsored now. It's like Instagram has become what magazines were that made us like Instagram. Yes. And now people are going back to real life again. You need to find people that aren't tragic. That was a profound sentence. I know. <laughs> it's something I've been on my little brain. Yeah. It's so true. Yeah, because I'm – yeah, when you said Parisians in Paris, the Instagram account that you loved, um, you were like, I just love looking at this because I want to just see how real people who are walking around the streets are dressing. I don't want to see how they're dressing for Instagram. And I was like, that's so interesting because, mm. because I'm looking at people like – Showing how tragic I am. Bella Hadid or like Dua Lipa. They're really stylish. They're stylish, but how you're looking at them on Instagram or whatever, they're not wearing practical outfits. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know what coats look nice because these girls are never, or people who I look to for style inspiration are never wearing coats. Yeah. Because they're always posing on Instagram wearing a bikini. That's so true. So I'm always just like, so that's why those things like Prezi and it's in Paris and these YouTubes and TikToks and things of real people. Yeah. It like helps you figure out. And real people have always been more stylish than like celebrities and Mm. models and stuff. Mm. Like I always think of these like, not to name, not to shame Elsa Hartz, but I'm like, it's just like people like that. It's so random that they're considered really stylish because to the man on the street, they're just not. Yeah. But it's, Instagram warps all of our brains. Yeah. I never even used to really look that much at what people were wearing to inform how I was wearing it. It wasn't because I, I it was just because I think I didn't realize that that was so good for figuring out outfits. and th- Like even literally yeah. today, the reason I'm wearing this pink top is this is just going against what you said, but it's, it's Bella again, so it kind of isn't. Is because I was on British Vogue and she wore a pink top and pants like this yesterday. You look very Bella esque. And I was just like, oh, I'm going to wear that outfit. And then you just figure shit out. Yeah. Yeah. But it's anyway. uh, we all have our thing over on the Instagram. Our shining light of who we look at to just be like anything you wear. Yes. Who's yours? Mine's Camille Rowe. Oh, yeah. That, like, YouTube video of her doing her seven outfits for Vogue. I think I've literally watched that, like, a hundred times. Yeah. Tragic. Jada. <laughs> Jada. whole conversation belongs in the Jada <laughs> Emily, cut this. Just kidding. But I was going to talk in the Jada but it kind of makes sense to talk about it now. Dua Lipa has launched this rando brand called Service 95, and it's basically a website where she – Okay, so she's born in 95, and then she's always thought she was born to be of service to people. So service is like... bops. Yeah, by making bops. <laughs> but service is this kind of likened to goopy thing, but it's not really wellness. It's more just like recommendations for cute shops and restaurants. That and is a half-baked concept yet again. I'm so into it. Because <laughs> I love her so much. that I, And I yeah. don't even love her music that much. Obviously, I'm forcing ah, you to go to her. I like her music. No, I like her music. Yeah. But like, I don't love her because of her music. Yeah. So the reason I'm forcing you to come to her stadium tour in May with I'm me. I'm literally the inverse. I'm like, I might come to hear the songs. <laughs> yeah. But then I like her personality the and her style hits. and her yeah. all of that crap. Boyfriend. And her boyfriend, etc., etc. But yeah, she's launching Service 95, and I was like the first one to sign up. <laughs> I want to like a Substack from Julie. Yeah, I love that shit. Gorgeous. I want to know her favorite restaurants in Paris and Cafe Rex and mm-hmm. Vintage Shop Rex. It's true. It's a great choice by her. But everyone will just flood them now. I know. She can't be that honest. I know. 
you should be on. There should be a higher tier. <laughs> yes. The, the real fans. <laughs> the real stands. Oh, well, that's exciting. Has she sent out a blast yet? No. Keep us posted. No, I will. I will. A regular installment. Us reviewing Service 95. On the close friends just now because you turned yes. on the bathroom fan yes. for no reason. We had to sit here in silence for 10 minutes. I just did a spontaneous food tour of London. Well done. Service. <laughs> Service 91. <laughs> I know. I was like, she's four years younger than me. I'm so embarrassing. I realized yesterday that people who are over 18 now were born in 2003. Yeah, I'm kind of up with that because my sister was born in 2000. Yeah, that's a lot. Which makes me feel sick. Yeah. Or 2001. Yeah, it's so, it's so much to think about. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> what have you been doing this week? I have a wreck. Yes. A new movie called Passing. It's on Netflix and it's directed by Rebecca Hall, who I think you would recognize if you Googled her. She's kind of one of those supporting actresses that you see in things. Have you seen Vicky Cristina Barcelona? Mm-hmm. She's the not Scarlett Johansson and not Penelope Cruz. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she has directed this film and it's called Passing and it's based on a novel from the 20s. Oh, yeah. About, yeah, she's very, like, beautiful and sophisticated English woman. And it's called Passing and it's about two light-skinned black women in the 20s in New York and one, they meet up again in their kind of 30s and one is passing as white and is married to a white man and one is not and is still living in Harlem and is married to a black man and has a family and is a kind of prominent part of the community there. And it's a really amazing – it's Ruth Negger and Tessa Thompson who are both incredible. And the movie is just so beautifully done. Like it's shot in black and white. The costumes are just incredible and it's really slowly, beautifully shot. I think you would really like watching it. But I also – love the way it's opened up conversations about this concept of passing quote unquote which has like really fallen out of conversation in the last kind of 50 years well it was funny you say that because when you talked about this movie i was like oh is it based on a book and you were like yeah and it's based on a book called passing yes but i just read a book called the vanishing half which came out last year by an author called i think Brett bennett and it's a very similar story. So I've weirdly been reading about passing and it was two sisters and they grew up in a fictional place in America where the black people who lived there had wanted so badly to be white that they'd kind of like bred whiteness into their Mm. skin so that basically the community looked really white, but they were still treated as though they were black by white people. Mm -hmm. But then the two sisters, one of them, yeah, runs away and passes as white and the other one marries a black man. I haven't finished it yet, but I think they come back together similar to what you're saying. So interesting. I was listening to this Atlantic podcast about this topic and they were talking about the history of, yeah, like passing narratives. They're talking about movies, but I'm sure it's the same in books. How, especially in the 40s and 50s and 60s, there was all of these movies about the concept of passing where famous white actresses played white passing black women And it was like they were meant to be stories that humanized black people and made white audiences feel empathetic with black people and think, oh, imagine being treated like this when you look as white as this woman. That's unjust. And Mm -hmm. it was this really cringy, problematic way of people trying to do like racism narratives in a liberal way. And 
the podcast I listened to was saying that this is kind of every single thing about this movie like turns those expectations on their head. So in those movies, it was really this this idea that white society was the place that everyone aspired to be in, but only certain people who were light-skinned enough could get there, whereas in passing, Ruth Negger, who is passing as white, is like desperate to be welcomed back into the black community and deals with feeling like a lack of identity and isolation because she feels like she doesn't belong there anymore. And it just showcases so many like complexities to identity that are really not simple. And then I was watching it and I was thinking, God, like the concept of passing is so fascinating and so not discussed. And I was like, Izzy should watch this movie. And then I was like, Izzy should watch this movie because this is like her life experience. <laughs> yeah. like to, obviously not lying to a racist white husband that you're white, but like that experience of going through the world. Oh, sorry, I'll just say quickly. The uh, director, Rebecca Hall, people were kind of saying, why would a white woman direct this? And it's because she has had the exact same experience where her mother is a white passing black woman who worked in the arts, who's from Detroit. And she really wanted to tell this story because it really spoke to her personal life. And she always struggled being in rooms with people who would speak really differently about race because they had no idea about her family's background and the fact that she herself was mixed race. Mixed race. So, yeah, and then I was thinking about you and about how this is, like, your experience and really you're just starting to, like, unpack it mm. yourself. Yeah, that's really interesting because I was even – and then we we just spoke about this while we were eating our falafel before. <laughs> and I was saying that, yeah, it feels as though it's something that I can't – I can't claim being Māori even though that's my entire dad's – well, it's, like, ha- half of me, essentially, mm. like, my whole dad's family – because I look so white and then my brothers have always been browner than me and have had like no problem or even my best friends who are browner than me have just just been like completely fine with embracing their identity but I always feel as though I don't have any I don't know authority or something to claim it even for example at uni right Mm. you could get a scholarship if you were Maori and I refused to do it because I was Mm. like no I don't deserve it because I'm like white passing (laughs) yeah which is so interesting yeah it's interesting and it's like it's really sad that that's been your experience I guess it's also influenced by which Rebecca Hall was saying as well like you have this cultural divide as well where if you grow up mainly with your white family there's this added thing of like you're white passing and then you feel culturally like you don't Mm. understand or belong to the other part of your identity because they're not the family you grew up with or it's not the area you grew up with or whatever. Very interesting and a very highbrow to, to lowbrow <laughs> turn of events. I was like trying to think of what I've been doing this week, but all I've been doing is watching The Bachelorette USA. Is it good? Love. It's a really good series. It's this girl called Michelle Young. She's from Minnesota and she's only the second black woman they've ever had as the bachelorette and the first one really famously rachel uh, she was on the cover of new york magazine divorcing herself from the bachelor franchise mm. and obviously last season what happened was with their first black bachelor matt that host who had been with the show for 20 years got fired yeah because of the racism stuff so it's been an interesting series and michelle is Michelle's just really cool. She's super sure of herself. She takes no shit from anyone. She talks a lot about growing up, going to a predominantly white school and always feeling like the token black person and how she's used to like being picked last and not being heard and rah, rah, rah. It's just a really good 
season i just get hook line and sinker drawn into these fucking shows like the bachelor just has me like nothing else it's just like really heartwarming and she talks a lot about black lives matter and there's another guy from minnesota there called joe who i love and want to win and then she said that she dm'd him on instagram and he'd ghosted her and then he tried to be like well obviously like it is fair enough but he was like there's a lot of shit going on at the time in minnesota and she was just like i'm also from there and i blah 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 like just being like <sighs> like fucking don't be like useless and ghost me and they just happened to both be on the show or he knew i it was think her. he knew it was her and so he came mm. on the show so at the start you're just like no joe's a naughty boy don't go for joe and then within like five seconds you're just like obsessed with joe he's so fucking hot and he's a basketball player like her she's a professional basketball player oh my god yeah they're like made for each other and so she's having to pretend she's not head over heels in love with them right now oh cute and how are they handling it because i know there's been like racial scandals in the past i think michelle is just really onto it so she Mm -hmm. takes no shit from anyone and she like really openly speaks about when she's dated white guys in the past when she's dated black guys in the past and like all of these things about her childhood she made this like Amazing speech the other day that made everyone well up. Mm, um, Michelle. Yeah, she's really cute. And then I've also been watching Below Deck Med season six. Okay. Can't, can't quit it. Nothing much to report other than it's scandalous and really good. <laughs> I need to start. Yeah. And then obviously all that we've been discussing other than that is Kim Kardashian and Pete Davidson. And there's been some really interesting pieces this week about how these relationships in 2021, such as Kim and Pete, Megan Fox and Machine Gun Kelly, and Olivia Wilde and Harry Styles and Courtney Kardashian and Travis Barker are kind of changing up the divorce narrative, mm. which I find really interesting. So there was a piece written for British Vogue about how the hottest relationships of the year what they say about divorce and how it's changing this narrative of like the celebrity breakup industrial complex is usually built on a woman scorned. So the Jennifer Aniston, Jennifer Garner, Sienna Miller, etc. And the narrative with the high profile divorces was that the man moved on first, either with the nanny or with someone decades younger and the woman was pitied by the public. But now it's kind of been flipped around and you're seeing all of these women who are in their mid-30s to early 40s, divorced with children, all just hanging about with these hot men and being really public and happy and showing that it doesn't have to be this sad narrative. Yeah, it's very interesting this is happening at the same time as Adele as Mm. well because she's become this, like, face of divorce as this self-care, self-worth, personal growth, amazing thing of kind of – cutting off dead weight and like flourishing in the aftermath it's almost not aspirational but it's kind of aspirational to be divorced now in the sense that it just seems like women who have left imperfect relationships I think the thing that's in common with at least Kim and Kanye I don't know anything about Megan Fox or Olivia Wilde's relationships but it seems like they for Adele and Kim Kardashian it was like partners who weren't carrying their weight, who were letting them do everything, who were kind of giving them all of the labor in their relationship and they were just like, fuck it and left. Yeah. The Face wrote a piece as well this week about divorce energy and how 2021 proves divorce doesn't have to be tragic. Obviously not talking about the actual shit as fuck parts of divorce, like in Adele's Mm -hmm. album where you can hear her son 
really upset or divorces due to abuse or anything like that but kind of as you say the reinvention of the self being divorce energy so coming out of it and reclaiming yourself and refiguring out what you want and what you need out of life and obviously I didn't get divorced <laughs> but I was speaking to my friend on the weekend and she said she just got out of a nine-year relationship and she said that this year is her year of healing and next year she wants it to be her year of growth and I was like, that's so interesting you say that because last year really felt like my year of healing where I went back to New Zealand, mm. swam in the ocean, slept a lot, got back into exercise, was like getting through depression and whatever and not really working much at all and just completely focused on putting one foot in front of the other. And then this year feels like a year of growth where it's been like figuring mm. out what you want and what you need and all of these things and it's become a really positive thing. And then now it's like... I feel like Adele would feel this way too. And mm. Courtney, even though she wasn't married to Scott, obviously they were together for so long. You went through this horrible shit period and feel like I'm better than I ever was when I was in that relationship. Yeah. Like happier and healthier and more focused on who I am and what I want than I ever was. Yeah, it's it's really nice. And even the fact that all of these couples we're talking about, it just, like these new couples, it just seems like the men are so respectful and adoring of them. Like we were saying before about how it's like a bad thing in Hollywood that if a man is obsessed with you, people tend to respect you more. But like Machine Gun Kelly and Travis Barker and Pete Davidson to a certain extent and like Harry Styles obviously so obsessed with and fawning over these women. Because I think we get this idea that relationships stagnate at a certain point and there's nothing wrong with them or they're just like imperfect, but Maybe they're just better than what can happen on the other side. And now there's all of these relationships that are so aspirational once you leave something that's just imperfect behind. Mm. So there's been heaps of celebrity divorces this year. So there's obviously Kim and Kanye, Bill and Melinda Gates, Mary Kay Olsen and Oliver Sarkozy, Matt Hancock, lol. Um, (laughs) Jason Sudeikis obviously and Olivia Wilde Grimes and Elon Musk have broken up John Mulaney and then there's also been data from the UK's largest family law firm that suggested inquiries from people seeking divorce has almost doubled this year as compared to last year which obviously Mm. the pandemic will play a massive factor in that but just yeah the way divorce energy can be chic and kind of embodied by Adele when on Instagram live someone asked what her album was about and she answered divorce babe divorce (laughs) (laughs) yeah I love it who knew that the chicest coolest women in the culture would be divorcees I know how good is that it's fab and then there was also another important think piece of off the back of Kim Kardashian and Pete Davidson which I wish I had written And it's an ID piece asking if we're living in the era of the manic pixie dream boyfriend. So obviously manic pixie dream girl was this phrase used to describe women, which came from, uh, sorry, a writer called Nathan (laughs) watched Kirsten Dunst in Elizabethtown in 2007. And he then went on to describe her as being a manic pixie dream girl which describes a stunningly attractive, effervescent, quirky, and energetic girl who gives a brooding male character a new lease on life. Then obviously the Manic Pixie Dream Girl became this phenomenon where people were writing songs about it. It kind of is perfectly embodied by Zoe Deschanel in 500 Days of Summer. 
And then now people are saying that this is the era of the Manic Pixie Dream Boy, which was actually coined by The Cut in 2015. And the writer said, The Manic Pixie Dream Boy is a self-mythologizing, free-spirited dude who's determined to make your life magical whether you want it or not. He is the kind of man irresistible to goal-orientated, career-driven women who need a break from obsessing about hitting their life markers, one of which is dating the men they feel they are supposed to be dating. How does this not describe Pete Davidson in every sense of the word? Yeah, he's the embodiment of the manic tri- manic pixie dream boy. And even just like uh, Megan Fox going from Brian Austin Green to Machine Gun Kelly. Mm. and Courtney Kardashian going from Scott Disick to Travis Barker. And, and even in a way, yeah. yeah, Olivia Wilde going from Jason Sudeikis to Harry Styles. It's all of these men who are kind of fun and carefree <laughs> and like musicians and tattooed and young and the kind of guy that you would not really. I mean, Harry Styles aside, the kind of guy you wouldn't want to take home to your parents. You know what I mean? Harry Styles is the ultimate manic pixie dream boy with his, like, Dorothy dresses and his nail polish and his... Yeah. I think, yeah, Pete Davidson describes it so perfectly because it's the kind of guy who you feel naughty for dating because it's it's like your fun, the fun guy Mm. that you date because they want to go on road trips and don't care about work and like rah 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 and you're just like I don't know how we're going to support ourselves but fine. They say in this article the manic pixie dream boyfriend or girlfriend comes into your life when you need it most and stays for as long as is necessary for you. The main character of life to develop empathy and grow in some way. Then like the eponymous summer and 500 days of summer they leave making way for autumn. And then it says Maybe the manic pixie dream boys of today are merely gateway drugs for the celebrity women who choose to love them and choose to force us to watch us love them. As much as we want to believe in true love, maybe Megan will not marry MGK. Sad. Oh, don't say that. <laughs> but yeah, maybe they will. But like, I don't see Kim and Pete being together long term. No. But you know. Yeah, he's that's... a stage in her growth. Yeah, yeah. he's her 500 days of summer yeah. for sure. No, Jada. Jada. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Normally being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.
Okay, on to the Great Resignation, which is a term that everyone is using to describe what's going on right now, which is basically that everyone everywhere is quitting their jobs. And in response to that, the Ezra Klein show did an episode called The Case Against Loving Your Job. And it was basically a long hour and a half interview with a work and labor expert, which sounds really dry, but it's really fucking interesting. It's really interesting. (laughs) I was so hooked from minute one. So basically the great resignation, as people are calling it, in America, 4.4 million people resigned from their jobs in September. That's fucking crazy. The month of September. Like, that's thing. In the UK, 2 million people have started new jobs since the pandemic started and 400,000 people resigned in September. So it's a smaller number, but still people are like... Well, there's less people in the country too. Exactly. People are resigning in massive droves. And there's kind of this combination of factors. I think that from talking to people who work in Australia, it seems like it's coming in Australia basically because the country has been semi-unaffected. I mean, obviously not unaffected in the eastern states, but there's been a degree of separation from the rest of the world. I think people have not been resigning in the same numbers yet, but I think once things open back up, a lot of people will move overseas and there's this like fear that there'll be a great resignation in Australia and New Zealand too. The combination of factors is like a lot of the things that we've been talking about, which is that the pandemic made so many people realize that their jobs, like they've been told to love their jobs and their jobs don't love them back, basically. Yeah, because so many people, their employers were forcing them to work. And so I had a friend who was forced to go into the office through all through the UK, really, really, really intense lockdown because she technically worked in the food and drink industry, but Mm. she worked in marketing. Like she was just like, this is fucking insane. You're forcing me to risk my life. Yeah. It's like, it became so stark how much your employer doesn't care about you to keep making money that they were saying risk death (laughs) in the middle of a global pandemic that could kill not only you, but like loved ones in your home. I really liked the Ezra Klein podcast focused a lot on like hospitality workers and frontline workers and people who were more directly impacted by COVID instead of necessarily people like us us who talk about it, but we're obviously so fortunate and insulated. So this interview says that line cooks and food service workers were among those who died in the highest numbers during the pandemic. And I think that is very American centric because Mm. in like, Europe and the UK and Australia. That was all shut down. Everything was just shut down. Whereas in America, things like fast food chains and stuff were expected to stay open Mm -hmm. the whole time. But people talked about finding out that people in the fast food chain or Target or wherever they worked had contracted COVID at work and it being posted on a tiny bulletin board at the back of the staff room instead of it being told to everyone in the building because they didn't want panic and they didn't want people not showing up to work because the expectation was that profits couldn't drop more. And I think it's just created this atmosphere where we're now questioning why we spend so much time obsessing over and devoted to and caring about jobs that literally don't really give a shit about us. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because we've obviously been talking about this a bit and reframing our own attitudes towards work and obviously for a lot of people who work in similar situations to us where they can work from home heaps of people were spending more time at home so we talked about on the pod how a lot of mothers would spend more time with their kids at home and realize that that's where they want to be and what they want to be doing and they've been forcing themselves to work because they thought that's what they were supposed to do 
and are now realizing that they're much happier and healthier and more balanced if they're not working as much and and people are now questioning why it is we even think that way in the first place which I think is interesting and they were talking about in this podcast that what what we don't realize especially the younger generation is that our attitude towards work has changed so much in recent years so there was a 1981 article about what they called workaholism and they were saying it's become this new problem and they likened it to alcoholism and they were saying that employers now expect you to be devoted to your job and to work long hours which is everything that now you would find on a job description because that's so expected of you and they were saying the space between those expectations and the reality of work is why everyone's talking about burnout right now because we're forced to work like mad so say if you manage to get a job now if you manage to get a job that you actually truly do love or the reason you studied to be a doctor is because you wanted to help people they were saying now that doctors can't even do the thing that they love properly because they're so short-staffed or forced to work such long hours or forced to see a patient every five minutes so you can't even actually like do what you what makes you passionate about your job Mm. and that's why we're all getting so burnt out and I was thinking about how we talk about magazines and how journalists back in the 80s would write for Vanity Fair and they'd have two features to work on in an entire year and yeah. get paid like a hundred thousand dollars per piece mm. and and they could spend all of their time like really working on these things and putting so much time and energy into it and now everyone's so short-staffed and so stressed and you're forced to work these long hours and you're not even able to like produce what you what would potentially make you happy or fulfilled yeah exactly and it's like the, that that shift is so interesting and I think for us we've seen it in magazines but it's obviously happening in so many industries where the workload and the expectations have gone up so drastically but the expectation of how you should feel about your work has stayed exactly the same which is grateful happy to be there always turned on passionate you know sacrificing things in your personal life it being part of your identity and they were kind of discussing in this podcast how the emotional labor it's much more so obviously in like customer service jobs where you're you're dealing with the public but in almost every job there's this expectation now that you not only have to work so much harder but that you need to put the emotional labor into acting as if you're thrilled to be doing it which is so much more exhausting and they use the example of the Ford motor plants in the 50s where the people that worked at the Ford plants making cars were under no illusions that they loved doing it or this is what they were made to do or that it was going to give them some kind of meaning in their life. It was just a thing that they did to give them time to do the things that they wanted to do. And at the same time, the Ford Motor Plant didn't expect its employees to love being there or stay overtime just because they loved Ford or to talk about it or uh, smile when they came in or to go above and beyond to do as much as they could to keep getting promoted or whatever. It was just this transactional system of work, leave, work, leave. It was interesting how they were saying in the podcast companies are almost like tricking people into thinking workplace cultures are healthier than they are Mm. by using all these phrases like community and community outreach and customer support and client support and all of these phrases that just mean like sales, sales, sales or whatever it is. Yeah, even like the rise in how we refer to work as being careers instead of jobs yeah because jobs kind of refers to you just go to work and you get it done and you get a paycheck and you come home even i can relate this back to below deck med Mm. where the chief stew hannah was just like 
a bit over it and did it for the money because you get paid so well. And she still, in front of the customers, did her job really well, was like really concerned with how the people who were on the yacht, the super yacht, the people who were chartering the super yacht, the guests, were having their experience, like did her job. But because she wasn't really, really passionate and wanting to do that for the rest of her life and really concerned with advancing her career, the captain basically just got her fired. Mm. And it's like, that's kind of a normal situation yeah where your boss they're like where do you want to be in five years time where do you want to be in 10 years time what's your five-year goal Mm. all of these things and if you don't say like in this company as a (laughs) ceo it's like i don't want to fucking be like working i think the tech companies are such good examples of this where facebook and google and all of those places have created these workplaces that are meant to have completely revolutionized work by making it funner and a better environment to be in and less you sterile. Free food. <laughs> yeah, free food. Like I remember going to the Google offices in Sydney and they had a recording studio where people that had always wanted to be a musician could use like the high tech equipment to record songs. Well, that and was like had, Red Bull when I, where I worked. Yeah, it's right. very similar. Meditation corners and like a library where you can, whenever you want, you can sit and read all of this bullshit, smoothie bars and stuff. And it looks incredible when you walk in you're thinking I wish I could work here and everyone there looked miserable (laughs) literally and I was thinking about the logistics of coming to this it's so much worse in Silicon Valley obviously because it literally is like a compound Mm. but coming to this beautiful place every day where it's like these companies expect so much out of you they're driven by so much money that you can't go and write a song at work and record it in the studio like that's ludicrous no one's actually gonna do that no one's gonna sit and read a fucking book when they're at work Mm. unless it's for 20 minutes on their break and they're gonna feel anxious the entire time and worry if their boss has seen it and whatever it's like this illusion of work being this wonderful thing and it being revolutionized when really i think it's like more demanding well obviously they demand a lot at those companies and part of the reason they obviously provide the free food and the free all of the perks that what that you makes you want to work there is so that you stay there longer. Like you're allowed at Facebook and stuff to bring friends in for free food whenever. So I go on all the time because one <laughs> of my best friends works there. And obviously it's such a novelty to be able to go in there. And she also really enjoys like getting the free food and the perks and things like that. And obviously it is to trick you into working more, but then at the same time, it's also like we're all doing that in a way, but at least they're like giving you some food in the process. <laughs> like, I don't know. I'm like, yeah, I know. It's really interesting as well that there's been all these advancements in technology and all of this discussion about so many jobs becoming obsolete. And yet the working week has not reduced in hours at all in like a hundred years. And we were both rereading that Atlantic piece by Derek Thompson, I think his name is. Yeah. Derek Thompson, who coined the phrase workism and was saying that workism is the new religion in America where it replaced God as the thing that everyone organizes their lives around. But he was saying that John Maynard Keynes, who's a really famous economist, had predicted in 1930 that by the 21st century we would be working a 15-hour work week and that we would all be adjusting to living a life of leisure and art and relaxation basically and that that was going to be the big challenge for man in our era was how to deal with working less Mm. and it's like the complete opposite has happened Mm. I I really liked how in this Ezra Klein podcast as well they talk about as you say service workers and people on the front line a lot and also just how we phrase this great resignation as being this overwhelmingly positive thing where we're just like woo let's all work less and fuck the system and like 
create an identity outside of work and do things that make you happy and which both of us are, are definitely doing. But we're yeah. so lucky in that we have the means to be able to do this where heaps of the people who have quit have quit literally because their bosses were putting their lives in danger mm-hmm. and are now stressed about how to get a paycheck. And also in that other piece we were talking about where mothers had, have, are going down to part-time work, it's still so fucking stigmatized. Like, there's going to be such a long time between now what's happening and it being normalized by society and it being yes and it's still yeah for every like woman that's deciding to scale back and to stay home more and to not obsess over her work as much there's probably like five women that are literally doing it because they can't afford they have to and they can't afford childcare or they haven't been able to have childcare the whole time and it's actually like taking women out of the workforce at these massive numbers Mm. which is terrible (laughs) yeah and they also speak about how young people kind of have it the worst in this situation because there's us who are on the cusp of like we were taught obviously to find a job you love and work really hard and rah 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 and go to you have to go to university and all of these things and gen z has been taught the same thing and then now they are the ones who are like 21 and are at uni or leaving uni and figuring out that no one wants to give them jobs or no one wants to work anymore and like people don't want to go back to the office after covid and people are being all lazy about the hours they work and slacking off a bit which is obviously a great thing in my opinion but like if you were just going into the workplace and you're finding your boss didn't give a fuck about furthering your career or helping you or mentoring you because they just wanted to slack off and not come back to the office full time you'd be yeah, like, or they're like desperately sucks. trying to quit yeah. yeah i was thinking that too it would be like such a nightmare time to be coming into jobs now i was really shocked to read a statistic that said when you quit your job it costs on average it costs your employer on average 122 percent of your annual salary to replace you Oh, that's crazy. In terms of that's why the job magazines hunting. they don't do it. They don't do it. <laughs> they, they just don't spin around you. with their eyes shut and replace you with like the fucking the first dog on see. the ground <laughs> beside you because they can't be fucked. That's why we're constantly questioning who writes all of the articles that we quote in these Biz- like podcasts. Crazy. We're going to talk about Jennifer Lawrence in a second, and like that was probably the one of the better written ones I've yeah. read in a, quite a while. Yeah. It was like nothing groundbreaking, but I was like, oh, this is the punctuation's correct. And yeah. it was obviously proofread yes. and subbed. Yes. But yeah, very interesting. I was also on that point of how long it will take everyone else to catch up. It's it's this funny thing where I think now both me and you have been reassessing for the past year our work-life balance and what actually makes us happy. And I've found- Gone too far in the other direction. Yeah, we've gone probably. too far in the other direction where I like could not give less of a fuck about anything. <laughs> And then I like, this is what I'm saying. I went to a party the other weekend and I was there with one of my friends who's quite the opposite, which is like severely (laughs) ambitious Mm. and works really hard and is doing really, really well career wise. And we actually like talk about her articles quite a bit and she's, she's like just killing it right now. And then one of her friends came to the party who's the same and we were like drinking and rah, rah, rah. And then he was like to me. So, what's your five-year plan? And I was like, no. And I was literally like, I don't have one. And then he was like, oh, you're just lying. You just don't want to tell me. You just, you definitely have a five. And I was like, you're talking about career-wise. And he (laughs) goes, I was like, I don't understand what's going on. I was like, wait, what are you saying? Yeah, because I was like, oh, I mean, life-wise, I would like to get a dog and... (laughs) Spend more time by the beach, Go but to I, Russia. I'm assuming we're not talking about that. And yeah, he thought there was no way in hell that I don't have a five year plan and that <sighs> I'm lying to him. And I was like, A, this is such an illegal conversation to be having at a party. 
and be hugely yeah. like not everyone is obsessed with work and success and stuff as as you like it was just it was like quite funny but that's how long it's going to take other people to catch up they probably just think we're Drop useless kicks. at our jobs. I know, literally. Just <laughs> when <laughs> jokes on them, I'm not trying. <laughs> well, I watched it's so nice Below Deck Meth this about. morning for like two hours. And I was like, mm. I feel happier and mentally healthier than I have in years and years and years. I feel like and I've like- done like three years. It's like when you take mushrooms and you have like a breakthrough and you've done five years of therapy. I feel like I've done six years of personal growth in one year of laying about. Like obviously – you sometimes flick back into that mode because it's hard to be out of it. And, and me and you are really good at speaking to each other whenever we start having minor mm-hmm. freakouts or whatever about, you know, all of the things that we used to care so much about and that made up our identity for so many years of our lives. And I think sometimes I can flick back into that. And then the other day I was like, would I rather have been, I don't know, published in wherever? I don't even know what a good place to be published in now that in the New York, York Times yeah. is like failing in puts shit about puts crazy shit about my girls doer and bella in the magazine made me cancel my subscription what did they put remember they did the pro israel oh, and like yeah. were blasting bella hadid and stuff in yeah, the, the paper right. so i canceled my subscription oh well done that. izzy um but anyway yeah would i rather literally have a book on the way or be feeling how i am mentally happy in my relationship in my friendships just feeling calm and so much more myself than I've ever been. And it would be feeling this now. And it's like just just putting those into perspective and being like, you are on the right track. A hundred. And, and I, I don't even think it's like one or the other as no, well. Like I think it's like not. the way we were working made it impossible for us to even think about what we really wanted to do because there was no fucking time or space. Mm. Like I've been reading How to Do Nothing by Jenny O'Dell and it's this book that's basically about how humans need like artists and all of these people that we've been obsessed with in history had like long 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 periods of doing nothing like charles dickens used to literally walk for like eight hours just around england yeah. it's how all you day. get ideas it's how it's you how, get yeah. ideas you need empty space in your brain to yeah. like be creative and think and come up with concepts and go back and forth like we were just cramming every minute of our day with stuff and it's not a nice way to live yeah yeah exactly and you start to realize what you want and what you don't want and what works and what doesn't work and i think that's so much more beneficial than just shooting out fucking random stories that you don't care about in a month's time exactly just to be doing something yes exactly and then when you think about the motivation of why you're doing it it's like almost 95 percent of the time are coming from a bad place like a place of yeah insecurity or jealousy or, or ego or that the hard something. thing is is as well is it does still it is still tied to my self-worth which is like an mm. untangling thing like someone yeah. on twitter the other day said i wrote like a piece for idea about toxic traits and someone said that their toxic trait was cutting back on work because i know it will help my mental health and then feeling mentally unwell because i or feeling useless yeah. And unneeded because I have no work on and because we're, we're so taught that work is tied so heavily to our self-worth and, and being needed and being busy. Totally, that it does take yeah. a long time to unta- untangle that. So sometimes I'll just start to feel bad and lazy or whatever. And then it's just finding that balance of being like, okay, you know that if you are too lazy and watch too much below deck med and do no work, you'll start to feel a bit shit. So just like finding a balance of yeah. when you feel good. I think that podcast did a good job of that as well, of kind of saying that we all know from experience that, yeah, working really hard on something and it 
coming out well because you've tried it gives you like an amazingly fulfilling feeling and i think if all of us didn't work at all we would all be extremely depressed like having yeah. purpose and something to yes. work towards 100 percent. i think like we are both writers it's like what we've grown up obsessing over it's what we spend our downtime doing it's what we love it's pretending that that's not real and that work is just a cult yeah is not true yeah it's, it's like, like just figuring just, out it's the just finding the balance yeah is. yeah i haven't written for fun in years which is what i need to do i need to bring back yeah because now i'm just like i can't be fucked <laughs> i know <laughs> why would i do that in my downtime but that's what yeah that was the whole point of it exactly. anyway we are off to patreon now to talk about some stuff bye <laughs>